Today's episode is presented by Yelp. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They also offer great solutions for restaurants looking to streamline their front of house and increase sales. Millions of diners are already using Yelp, and these products are a great way to capitalize on that network. Head over to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to claim your free page and learn more about these powerful tools for your business. Now here we go. The great CEOs look at culture not as the written word, but are are the people within my organization behaving in such a way that it matches our culture? Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post has launched, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday, and it's packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, the Pineapple Post is here to help. You can sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you check it out. I am not a great leader, but I certainly aspire to be one. And I've got to believe that's half the battle. Any improvements I've made over the years can be traced directly back to the great coaches I've had and the great lessons that they've taught me. One of the best coaches I know is Howard Solomon. I reached out to him because in this moment, I think we could all use a little coaching. In today's chat, we unpack what it takes to become a great leader and how to inspire greatness in our teams. We begin our conversation with the mindset that has made Howard the world-class coach that I know him to be. I have never come out of a session not learning something myself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great to be a great teacher. And I think that I am one, but I also think that I am a great student as well. And I think that you need both to be really successful and to grow the business and grow your practice. And I don't mean that necessarily from just a a person who coaches and mentors leadership and business operators. I'm talking about the actual CEOs and COOs directors, regional people themselves, vice presidents, if you are not learning, you're not growing. And I didn't invent that saying either, but you've got to continue to keep your student hat on firmly affixed to your head. You know, if you really want to see your business intact, thriving for a very long time and positioned for a great exit strategy, whatever that might be. Well, I want to unpack those ideals. And I know that there are very few absolutes in this world, but I'd like to get your input on a couple. And one is all truly great companies are helmed by great leaders. How would you define what makes a great leader? Wow. Um, That could be like a whole two podcast session. (laughs) Um, Well, let's divide it into two things. Let's, let's define the role of a great leader, like, like what that ideology looks like. And then, Talk to me about what that would look like in action. You know, I think, I think the biggest, the single biggest thing 
is to be a great listener. Um, and there's some foundational stuff that has to happen before people consider you to be a great listener. You know, and one is your, your policy on open doors. You know, and people say all the time, I have an open door policy, come in anytime, ring me on the phone, send me a text. And that doesn't always happen. And if it did happen, the response isn't exactly a response that would be deemed an open door. You know, sometimes these people that sit at the highest position will say, can you please defer your question to the human resource department? Or have you talked to your manager yet? You know, talk to them first before you talk to me. You know, and there's this, they create this, this barrier around their open door policy. You know, so part of being a great listener is, you know, is how you respond to what you've heard or what you're, what was sent to you. Um, and there's also, you know, a big difference between listening and hearing, mm -hmm. you know, listening takes effort. Um, it takes energy. Uh, it takes great focus. Hearing does not. Right now I can hear my refrigerator buzzing in the background, right? Took no energy effort or anything. I, I just kind of hear it. Sometimes we sit in meetings and we just hear the person talk because we have no interest whatsoever in either A, fixing their problem, you know, or B, could really give a rat's rear end what they're saying. And those are poor leaderships. You know, we sh great leaders will care about the voices of everybody in their company. What does yeah. that look like in action? What, what are the tools and resources that, that people can use to be better listeners, to empower that kind of culture? You know, I think that one of the immediate things I tell people is, you know, when they have their executive meetings, and you can picture this, you see it in movies all the time, that chairman of the board seat, the CEO seat at the end of a very long table, and they start the meeting with their agenda. So the agenda of the people around the table never really get heard. And if they do get heard, that CEO moves it along very quickly, just so the meeting's over, so that they can get back to their agenda. A great CEO doesn't have an agenda, doesn't have a list of things to do, doesn't have a call list to do. You know, they facilitate the, the needs and the wants of their people. And helps, assists, supports, mostly supports them in their endeavors and pivots their thinking when it may not be aligned with the company or their thinking. And again, this isn't like a finger pointing thing, like don't do that, do my agenda instead. But when that round table, when that oval table becomes a round table and it becomes a collective environment where that CEO or that chairman of the board is doing maybe five or 10% of the talking, instead of 90 or 95% talking, that's when companies really can start to move. There is a, a trust and verify process like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. There's a listening process, which we talked about earlier, but it tends to start right there, you know, in that space. And that has to be built into the overall vision of the company. That's got to be ingrained into the DNA, right? Yeah. And I think that starts with, and we do a lot of this work as well, which I didn't mention earlier, is identifying what that culture is. And people, companies in general, have no idea what culture is. 
nor do they have a culture sieve. They will have a mission statement and they will have written words of what their culture is, you know, and, you know, Deborah, who I mentioned earlier, my wife, you know, kind of brought this to light, a very, very bright light. If you go into a middle school or a high school or a grade school and you go into their gymnasium or their multi-purpose room and you'll see these big banners, you know, that will say kindness and respect, you know, key words like that, that make you a good citizen, citizenship, that make you a good person, a good student, um, a good citizen within that environment. And the discipline in a, in a grade school or a middle school, the good discipline comes from not the act of saying something bad to somebody, but tying it to one of these key pillars of culture within that school. You know, Johnny, did you think that was a very kind thing to do? Susie, when you spoke to the teacher that way, was that, was that a, a respectful thing? They tie those things to those things. So when you as a company, you know, don't pass through company growth missions, disciplinary actions, through that culture sieve, you have no culture. Culture is not the written word. People think that it is. I have great culture. Here it is. Culture is the behavior of its people. It should be something very visual. Well, and you can live those values, right? And, and the, the culture itself, once clearly defined, is the lens through which you operate every facet of your business. Correct. And the, the great CEOs look at culture not as the written word, but are, are the people within my organization behaving in such a way that it matches our culture? You know, so, you know, I went to a company a while ago in, in, in LA and for an hour, I listened to them talk about their culture, mostly about how the culture about the guests and how the guest comes first and how everything that they do is for the guests. It's very guest forward um, and service forward type of culture. And then we went to the downstairs to go eat. And there was a sign that said, please wait for the hostess to come back or something like that. And there were signs that said, like, this section closed. So... Kind of to prove a point, you know, when the hostess came, I said, and the, the section that was closed had like a gorgeous view and it had larger tables. And granted, it was a little bit further away from like the mainstay of the restaurant, but it was closed. And I knew automatically why it was closed. It was too much of a walk. They're trying to close down the dining room, keep things concise during the slow times, having one server on, I get all that. I understand the operational need to do that. But it didn't pass the cultural sieve, especially when we asked to sit at that table and the hostess responded, that section is closed. Mm. Sorry, you cannot sit there. That section is closed. Well, immediately that did not go through their culture sieve. Mm -hmm. It didn't pass. And again, that going back further, like that is those tough conversations that you have with people to get them to see things or think things differently. Because you're setting the standard. Exactly. I totally get it. I'm going to give you another absolute that I'd like to unpack with you. Sure. Great companies are run by great teams. So let's talk about the qualities that you would define as making a great team. And then what does that look like in action? So I think that great teams do not have great players. And we can look through the history of, I'll go back to sports. Yeah, great teams might have had a great quarterback. But who ran the football and who caught the ball and who was on their defense? Like you just don't remember, right? So these great teams, you know, kind of have a lot of really good utility players. 
And that's a pivot that our industry needs to adopt quickly, especially with coming out of COVID, the rising cost of minimum wage, the cost of doing business itself, customer feedback on Yelp, service-oriented questions and, and bad things and things like that. But I will take a team of utility players any day and create a great team of people having each other's backs, willing to jump from position to position, depending upon the impact of the business, you know, and even as a, in a quick serve environment, you know, having cooks that can work the flat top may not be the best, but follow the recipe, put out good plate presentation, may not be the fastest, um, and can also bounce over to that cashier stand, put a smile on their face, have an interaction with the guests and the customers, tour guide them or convince them, you know, ask into the, into the many choices that, they, that they're really going to enjoy and having, you know, the, the talent within a human being to perform all the job functions. And I'll even say this, this is going to come off the wrong way and might rub a few people the wrong way, but I'm old and I've earned the right to say things like this, <laughs> but you know, bartenders in general who might just be at that job for the money. I'm very impressed by bartenders who are willing to you know, jump out from behind the bar and actually wait tables, greet guests as a host, hop on the grill if they need to, run food if they need to, and not just hide behind the bar. You know, especially since we've reached this area where, you know, craft cocktailers and, you know, people that shake a drink well and things like that. Well, before they started bartending, they couldn't shake a drink well. And before they had a great mentor, they couldn't shrink a drink, shake a drink well. Now they can. And so that does not come with certain absolutes and that I'm not going to do certain jobs. And it goes back to the premise that we've all learned in the industry, like never say that's not my job. It comes back to that very simple philosophy. Never say that's not my job. Have a great team of utility players that are willing to multi-position, multitask, do more with less, um, get the big picture of what the company is in, be that great team player, jump to yes, stop whinging on the nose or why you can't do certain things, you know, and things like that. And you'll, you'll have a great team. To distill out what you're saying, because I I really identify with it. The message really resonates. I, I feel like what you're saying is hire for culture, hire people that align with your values yep. and then train them for the task that you need them to do. Yeah. Bingo. Say that we again make, so everybody hears it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we make quite a key. team. That's the key. And, and that's where it all starts. You know, it starts with hiring the right people not to do the right job hiring the right people that already think the way that you do. And they're going to maintain that thought process throughout their journey. I am, you know, 59 years old. And then when I go to a restaurant operationally to help them out or to do something or develop a menu, I will wash my own dishes as well as wash all the other dishes that are in that dish pit while I'm back there. And I am not paid to do that. That is in my blood. That is the way that I think. That is the example I choose to set. And I think it's very, very, very important. Not that you wash dishes, but never, ever forget where you came from, those humble beginnings, and continue to do those things throughout your path, no matter if you're still wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt, a cook's uniform, or a tie and a suit. It doesn't matter. I couldn't agree with you more. You brought up a word a minute ago that, that I think is critical to the next evolution of the hospitality industry. And that word is mentorship. 
Uh, You know, when you look at back of house, I think you see countless examples of how mentorship plays a role in a dishwasher becoming a line cook, becoming a sous chef, executive sous, and so on. But you don't really see a lot of that in the front of house. And so I wanted to talk to you about how leaders, how teams can develop mentorship practices that will serve them in the long term. Yep. I think that a lot of people look at their team and put them on a rung in the ladder and give the impression that they cannot move up until the person that is on the step above them moves up or falls off the ladder. (laughs) And life of growth shouldn't be that way. Tenure, legacy, how long you've been there should not be part of that growth process. The number one thing in that growth process should be that cultural alignment and how you think. It shouldn't even be skill set. I mean, you've seen it before. We've all seen it before. You know, this great server. You know, you have the best server. She's got the highest sales and he's got the, the fastest service. And, you know, they can even jump behind the bar and you say, they should be a trainer. Boy, if everybody can do what they do, we would be in a great position. Mm-hmm. They make them a trainer. And all of a sudden you realize what an absolutely horrifying teacher that they are. Mm-hmm. Horrifying. And it's causing disruption and it's causing, you know, um, all kinds of human resource issues. You know, they didn't talk to me the right way. They're not training the right way. I'm not listening. I'm not learning. I'm not doing this. They're horrible teachers. And we do that all the time. You know, we do that all the time, not just with trainers, but with shift leaders, supervisors. You know, it doesn't matter what their skill set is to become a supervisor or manager. What is their leadership capability? How do they inspire people? How do they correct behavior? You know, those are the skill sets a manager needs. You know, but we tend to look at the skill sets of how good their addition is. Well, you know, for- I think you bring up a great point. And, and I think it's something that we should we should give the attention that it deserves today, which is being a leader and and the hardest part of being a leader in my opinion is managing managers it, it's being a lead you know being a leader is about creating new leaders and empowering other people but you know no matter how far along you are on your leadership path there's always so much more to learn oh, every yeah. year i look back at the man i was and the things i thought and i think what a fool that guy was <laughs> yeah. and, and and, you know, my ability to lead is not only limited or is limited exclusively by my own life experience, but the ability for my managers to lead yep. is based on my life experience as well. Yep. They'll only be as good as I am. Right. How do you how do you break that cycle? How do you get past that? You know, these great leaders really want their young and up and coming leaders to be better than them. Yeah. You know, that's their goal. I want you to, I want to pass on everything that I have and then give you all these tools to learn outside of what I have, plus your own life experiences. And for God's sake, at the end of the day, be a better person than I am. Be a better leader than I am. Be a better CEO than I am. You know, that's my goal. We've seen it all the time, like GMs that are hiring for a manager that don't hire a manager because during the interview process, they realize that they might be better than them. Mm-hmm. And they don't want the competition. Mm-hmm. They don't get that that competition, what this person is going to bring to the table on your team is going to make you a better person. They don't get that. Mm-hmm. 
And honestly, that angers me. You know, if I have this conversation about what we're talking about now to to other CEOs or chairman of the boards or or vice presidents or whoever, and they say, hey, Howard, I've tried that before. It didn't work. You know, my way works. This doesn't work. And I'll say to them flat out, you know, honestly, I don't think you tried hard enough. What did you do? What did you do to really make this work? What strategies did you put in place? What conversations did you have to really make this system work? What did you do? Because quite frankly, it's almost foolproof. If you hire the right people, like you mentioned, you hire this cultural fit, you are a good listener. You don't tell people what to do, when to do it, how to do it, but you trust and verify. You employ all of these things that are sound on this podcast, very easy to do. Oh, I can do that. But trust me, they're very, very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to continue to think that way, pivot and change your mindset, which is why you need a consistent and constant coach around to keep you aligned and keep you on track. Well, one of the hardest things to do, you know, when you think in terms of investing in your team, and I know you're a huge advocate of this, is the transparency. The, 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 best, the best way to teach, the best way to coach your team is just to let them know what's going on. Like the, the unfettered, unadulterated yep. truth. This is yep. what I'm struggling with. I don't have the answers to this. This is where we are financially. These are our hurdles. Yeah, I mean, honesty and transparency like, you, like you're talking about is a direct function of time. And time is the most valuable thing that we have. Or when you get to be my age, it's the most valuable thing that you are running out of, <laughs> right? But when you have these conversations and your team chooses to have an excuse, oftentimes ridiculous, or a reason why they didn't do certain things, or you tend to have this multi-level, multi-conversations on why this error occurred or why this bad behavior occurred. It's way easier just for someone to say, listen, I screwed up. You know, I made a mistake. I apologize. I learned from it. I re- I'm regretful of it. And these are the things I'm going to deploy in my own behavior so that it doesn't happen again. And granted, that is an ultra mature way of thinking that I have even seen 70-year-olds not be able to say or do. You know, but if you can get your team to that point, you know, the growth the speed in which you grow is immeasurable. You'll be amazed at how fast you can grow just by conserving on time through honesty and transparency. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, one of the things that that I, I prioritize in the show is that every day the listeners get to walk away with, with actionable advice. Um, and I'm curious to know, what are three things that the people listening today can do to become better leaders in their day-to-day lives? Well, the first thing they can do is stop leading the way that they are, whether it's good or bad. Just take a week off and stop. Stop managing. Stop doing everything that you're normally doing. And go find several mirrors and be honest with yourself. Think of all the things that should drive you to change. I could have said this conversation better. I could have treated this person better. I could have given this person more bandwidth to trust. I could have not been so eager to hire this person. And go examine your, go take a good, hard look at yourself. And if you come to the conclusion that it's not me, it's everybody else around me, then 
quite frankly, I don't think anybody can help you. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to open up. You've got to be, as leaders, we've got to be vulnerable to our own mistakes so that we learn from them. We've got to be vulnerable to our own error and admit them so we're honest and humble. And we have to treat ourselves and each other with some self-respect so that we are authentic and we are genuine. And people don't look at us as a bullshitter or a piece of shit, you know, for that matter. Um, we've got to take a good, hard look at ourselves and then take a good, hard look at the people around you. And are there any obstacles? You know, are there things that are preventing you from doing what you really want to do because you're not culturally aligned with everybody around you? And then this might be a big jump for some people. I'm a firm believer of, and this is a Howard Solomon saying, the best place to start is at the end. You know, what, what is your end game? Where do you want to be? What do you want your legacy to be in your company? You know, what does that look like? And it could be a business strategy. You know, I want to operate this business for 10 years and then sell it for X amount of dollars. Or I'm going to run this business. Um, my, my children are in their teens. When they're in their early 20s, I want to pass the business along to them. Whatever that exit strategy is, whatever you want your legacy to be as a person and a leader, identify it because your mind and your body will follow and it, it will guide you through your own filter of the actions that you're going to take to achieve your end goal. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the day, we all have goals, personal and professional, you know, and sometimes we lose track of those goals or that end result and we, we go astray. And then we realize how astray that we've gone. And then we try to re-recognize those goals and try to reel things back into those goals. And that's a waste of time. Identify those goals, stick with it. Your mind and body will follow. I love that. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any words of encouragement or advice you would like to offer? Well, especially during this time, Stick with it. And I think the most encouraging words that I can give is that for the most part, 99% of us did not say when we were kids, I want to be in the restaurant business. We did not say in high school when we were scooping ice cream that, boy, I want to do this for the rest of my life. When we were in college and we were studying radio and TV or accounting, or human resources or whatever. And we had this part-time job in college waiting tables. None of us said that, boy, I like this way better. The only person that I've actually heard say this was my own daughter who wanted to change her career path when she was entering her senior year, you know, and we had a lot of conversation about that. You know, she said that it was my fault. I gave her the gene. It's in her blood. And this is what she really wants to do. So there are those, she is the 1%. We did it back then. All of us did it because we had fun doing it. It might get a little emotional, so I apologize. But we had fun doing it. And if we can't find the fun in doing it anymore, then we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't say to ourselves, this is all I know. This is what I do. It's not fun anymore. Life sucks. I'm going to stick through it because you're just affecting everybody else around you. So especially now, especially coming out of the pandemic, you have got to find a way to still have fun doing it. 
And for the people that are in the upper echelon of that, the fun is finding the opportunities that lie in this horrendous, unprecedented, uncertain time. And it's difficult to do, but you've got to find the fun in it, always. That's Howard Solomon. If you're looking to level up, visit SolomonLeaders.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our other content, or read our daily publication, go to fullcomp.media. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.